the NFHS Women's Leadership Family welcomes Colleen McGuire, the Executive Director of the New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. Colleen, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to um, go through this question and answer session with us for our listening audience. And we will jump right into our questions. What role did sports or interscholastic activities play in your life growing up? Great. Well, good morning, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to uh, spend some time with you talking about all things, you know, Title IX. It's very important. Um, so interscholastic sports, sports in general, I grew up in, you know, a pretty um, athletic household. I had two older brothers. They all played lots of sports. My dad played some sports at the college level. So they were definitely, you know, very important and prevalent, you know, within our household. The expectation was, yes, yeah, you play sports, you know, after school, you don't, you know, you're, you're active, you're outside, you're, um, staying, uh, you know, involved. Um, so I played, you know, a lot of different sports and mostly was tagging along to my older brothers, um, you know, along the way. And then as I got into high school, I started to focus on basketball. That was my main sport. I did play field hockey, but I look back and I was very lucky. I was able to play basketball through the college level at George Washington university. We had a great, you know, four years, good teams, had a great experience. I really, um, credit uh, the sports for giving me the self-discipline and to give me, me the um, accountability, accountability necessary to be successful in my professional career. Um, I learned how important it is to be, you know, the, the teamwork that's needed um, to be successful. But I think it's really uh, comes back to the self-discipline and the self-accountability needed in order to meet your goals you know, whether it be at the team or more important at the personal level as you continue on into your professional career. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, you mentioned um, your family. Can you talk to us about who was or is your inspirations? Yeah, growing up, um, I would say I looked up to my father a lot. You know, I think we had a very close daddy-daughter relationship. I thought the world of him, you know, very humble personality, but, you know, our biggest supporter. He was probably my, you know, first basketball coach. And not so much he coached me directly, but he was always out there shooting with me, always taking me to a gym, always, you know, just working with me because um, I had the enthusiasm for it. It was never, a, you know, a pressured situation where he, I was doing this for him. He was there to support me because he saw that I had a passion for it and I had, I had potential for it. So growing up, I definitely like looked up to him a lot and we're still very close to this day. Well, I like that the opportunity to um, get some quality time with the dad on the court. That's kind of cool. And being his only daughter, I think it was pretty special for him as well. You know, so. Awesome. That's great. Um, so can you talk to us about your position as the executive director and what that means to you? Um, and are you the first female executive director in that office? I you am. Start? I am. I'm very fortunate. Um, I, I, I was the one with the, with the good timing. There were certainly trailblazers ahead of me that paved the way for me to be the executive director here at the NJSIA. We have some former assistant directors. Uh, currently, right now, Kim DeGraw-Cole is an assistant director in our office, um, and she's actually entering retirement soon. Um, but I, I you know, think of them when I sit in this office that I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for some of these former uh, assistant directors in our office. But you know, it's an honor and a privilege uh, of a professional career. I honestly never thought this I would land in this type of position. Um, it's just things work out, you know, for the right reasons. But to sit here in this office 
office that it really truly is to know that you are making a direct impact on the lives of these teenagers, you know, and on the hundreds of thousands in New Jersey that play sports, where probably 95% of them are wrapping up their careers when they graduate high school, to be able to make that difference in their, um, you know, social and emotional, you know, learning and give them those opportunities to develop into young adults and you know, learn all those important life lessons that come with participating in extracurricular athletics. Um, it really is like probably, you know, the, probably the proudest achievement, you know, I'll have, I'll have of my professional career. Good for you. That's wonderful that you uh, take, have so much passion with what you do. And I'm sure the people that benefit or around you feel, feel the love. Yes. Um, can we talk to me about Title IX and, and, and what role Title IX played in your life or what impact it's had on your life directly? Or I mean, indirectly? obviously, you know, credit not, you know, not there, you know, um, more view myself as a beneficiary of Title IX, right? Not so much a trailblazer of Title IX, but, um, uh, you know, again, open. I grew up at a time where it wasn't until I got to college where I honestly, I realized like, wow, like generations before me didn't have the same opportunities that I did because I grew up in an environment where girls played sports and we had lots of opportunities to play sports. Never dawned on me that people that came before me, even a, you know, a decade prior to me, didn't have a th the same opportunities. So I'm very fortunate that um, those opportunities were there. I find the whole story of Title IX, though, just a tremendous like learning experience. Again, I didn't really know anything about Title IX until I was in college, my senior year had all my credits done for my major. And I took a really great class, uh, the history of women in sport. And we spent like uh, like a whole like month on Title IX. And it was so interesting to me that while everyone, you know, it's this great accomplishment, right? It, it opened doors, it opened, you know, paths for females to get opportunities. It's just an important lesson to me that no matter how, you know, good something may be, there often can be an unintended consequence too. And I think you always have to keep that in mind. And as a part of this course, you know, I was taking this course in the mid nineties when I was at, in college and 20 years later, the passage of title IX, you still had universities cutting male sports in order to abide by the title IX requirements. And it's just interesting that dynamic that, you know, something as great as title IX was there actually was unintended consequence with this. And that was a very important lesson to me very at a young age that you always got to stay mindful that there could always be another side to a story, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, still colleges today still struggle, you know, with trying to make sure they're compliant with Title IX, but still kind of providing all the opportunities to all student athletes. So this is, I, the whole, yeah, as my daughters, I have three daughters, I spent a lot of time with them, making sure they understand the passage of Title IX, what it means for them but also understanding all that it meant. Um, Cause I think it is a pretty valuable uh, history lesson just to, you know, just to stay mindful of as you, you know, look, look into the future. That's a different perspective and a good perspective because oftentimes we think about the benefits and don't think yep. about what, um, what hardships it could create for someone else. So yep. appreciate that. Thank you. Um, can you talk about female mentors along the way, your journey and, how you got to be where you are and, and what role that mentor may have played? Yeah, well, ironically enough, you know, you know, from the sports uh, perspective, I really only ever played for male coaches. You know, when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, you know, it's kind of interesting that. Um, and then when I started out my career, I was in, you know, um, I started out in public accounting and I was in like kind of more the business world. 
So I really didn't have as many female mentors along the way as I probably would would have preferred, you know, but Uh at the time I didn't recognize that, you know, but there is at least I know I had, you know, when I was working at Pricewaterhouse, I had one, you know, one manager I worked for who was fantastic. um, And I learned so much from her as far as the the need to uh, be able to personally uh, develop relationships with who you work with. And also we were client service based. So making sure you develop those personal relationships with your clients and stuff. Um, But uh, from a sports perspective, you know, I really, I look back, I'm like, wow, I never, never dawned on me at the time. I never recognized, I never really played for a female coach, (laughs) (laughs) my coach growing up and then through high school, through college, they were male coaches. Um, But I had tremendous relationships with them. They were like second fathers to me. Um, So I'm just excited. Now I look at my own girls and they majority play for female coaches. So I think that's, that's, that's great that they're getting that experience and setting the tone that, you know, you're going to do this someday when it's either your own kids or when you're out and, you know, the expectation is females are on, on the sideline and they deserve it and they should be on the sideline. So. Agreed. I like that. Good stuff. Can you talk about your greatest um, character trait that helps you on a day-to-day basis? I would say I'm a very attentive listener. Um, Someone very early on in my career made a point that there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth, right? And make (laughs) make sure you stay mindful of that. And it really resonated because I think, you know, you really do need to listen more than you speak. Um, And I think, you know, Personally and professionally, I think that's one thing people would comment about me is that I'm a very, you know, attentive listener and to the point where sometimes I kind of alarm people because I'll remember things about a conversation years later and I'll ask about it or I'll, you know, or I'll see a person I haven't seen in a long time and I'll something personal about them. And they're like, wow, how did you remember that? Um, So I think I just have a knack for just paying attention to people and really trying to absorb something from them. So. I like that there's some value into listening. Obviously, you can um, communicate better when you know what the, what you're talking to the person about. Yeah. So I like that skill. That's a fantastic tool and definitely go a long way. Um, I'm going to take you off on a different direction. Uh, dinner with someone, dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh, there are so many choices, right? <laughs> yeah. And I have thought about this and I would have to say, if I had an opportunity to spend, you know, um, you know, a dinner, just absorbing someone, it would probably be uh, Catherine Graham. So if you don't know her story, Catherine Graham, um, she since passed in like early 2000s, her father purchased the Washington Post uh, company back in like the thirties or forties. And her story is she basically was America's first fortune 500 CEO female CEO. Okay. Okay. So think about yourself. So you're this woman, your father owns uh, this, you know, Washington Post at the time, really big deal, starting to become one of the first media conglomerates. And she's married, she has four kids and her husband in the early sixties, he commits suicide. Just before he committed suicide, the father had transitioned the paper to her husband. So he was the editor, he was president, you know, and so she takes over the Washington Post in the mid sixties. So here she is, this female, taking over the Washington Post when you're dealing with unionized labor strikes. You know, she's getting, you know, every sexist, misogynistic slur, every uh, anti-Semitic slur thrown at her. She's the, you know, overseeing the Washington Post during a period of time in the Pentagon Papers, you know, so she's getting personal, you know, uh, threats. 
And then she oversees uh, during the Watergate time, you know, soon after. And she rose above it all and stayed in charge until I think probably into the 80s and then, you know, retired and left it to her son. I just think I read her memoir back when I was in my mid 20s. I was living in Washington, D.C. I spent 10 years down there after I went to school and then uh, stayed and worked. And that just resonated with me about how uh, significant her uh, role was at that time and to be in charge of such a prominent resource for the public in such tumultuous times to me is just amazing. So I would love an opportunity to have a few drinks and just relive those days. (laughs) And how did she overcome all of those threats, all of those, you know, like everyone has seen was against her, except for her, her staff, you know, Um, and I find her amazing too, because she had such a trusted relationship with her editor. His name was Ben Bradley. Um, And I just remember during reading the the chapter on Watergate, she never asked him who was the source of all the leaks. She so trusted him that she, she actually passed. She never knew who the, who the, who the source of all the leaks were. Um, And I find that dynamic so important with your own staff that that's resonated with me, that I have such confidence here in my office, that my chief operating officer and my chief compliance officer, I have that relationship with them that they know they, I have their back. I have the full, they have my full support and confidence. Um, And I think that's why we work really, really well together. Um, and that's something I took away from from that story. But so to make a long story short, I think she would be one of the most phenomenal people to have a have a have a dinner with just to know what it was like to go through all that and to raise above it all and be so successful. That's fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah, she crossed so. all and Washington, D.C. landscape. She crossed all like uh types of industries. I mean, her funeral, I remember was at the National Cathedral and I remember reading about it. It had politicians, sports, entertainment, industry, Warren Buffett was there. I mean, she just resonated with everyone. She was just such a remarkable person. Wow. That is very fascinating and very interesting. Now you're going to have me Googling someone. (laughs) Her memoir, My Personal History, one of my favorite books. Awesome. So you mentioned um, adversities that she overcame. Can you talk about any adversities or obstacles that you've experienced in your current position and how you overcame them? I would say more so getting to my current position, right? Um, I'm very fortunate throughout my career. I worked for tremendous bosses. Like I just always landed with really good situations, whether I started my career at Price Waterhouse or some of the companies I worked for after that. Um, so I was very fortunate, but I would have to say um, the biggest challenge along the way was really adjusting to being, you know, working mom, right? I think any working mom will tell you like, oof, you know, you have your career and then all of a sudden you have these kids and you realize something's going to have to give. Um, and it takes a few years to really work through how to balance it all and not feel like you're constantly half in, you know, whether it be at home or whether it be at work. And, you know, then inevitably your own personal, you know, takes a a backseat, your own personal interest, your own personal needs takes a backseat. So that was by far the biggest challenge. And, you know, kind of along the way was keeping the confidence that you can have that career. You know, you you, you can be a mom and you can have it all. Okay. Yeah. That's a good good, um, lesson for us to learn and, and be aware of. Tell us about like the day today. Tell us the most exciting part, fun part of your day and and the least 
part of the day that is not so fun. Mm, and daily at a daily basis. Um, the least fun, right? Is getting those phone calls from, you know, angry people that, you know, in our position, we're constantly having to make decisions, right? And make you make judgment calls. And when I first took this job, my attorney pointed out, you are now an official. And every time you make a judgment or make a call, 50% are going to, you know, applaud you and cheer you. 50% are going to boo you and criticize you. So it's navigating the daily grind of having people question you, having people criticize you, having people complain, right? Um, but all you can do is just be transparent and communicate. Um, I always say, you don't always have to like, like it, you just have to live with it, you know, like you're yeah. going to understand it. I just need you to live with it. So I think that that wears you down at times, you know, especially when it's just, you know, too many adults interfering in what, you know, we're trying to do for, for, for teenagers, right? Um, the highlights of the day, you know, obviously, you know, when you do get a chance to go to an event and you get to see the kids, you know, when you get to, you know, just witness all that you do do um, and what it means on those kids. Um, and then, you know, personally, you know, getting home and just the, 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 the chaos that is my house, you know, with three children, two teenagers <laughs> and one preteen and just hearing the accounts from the day is definitely the highlight of the day. Cause you know, awesome. we're all very busy, but we all tried at some point, make sure come together at some point for, even if it's a 15 minute dinner, but I just, I can't help but laugh. I grew up with two brothers. I have these three girls and sometimes I'm like, what is going on around here? You know? <laughs> um, so I think that is definitely my biggest entertainment of the day is the daily uh, woes and, you know, activities of my own children. Yes, I would agree with you there. I think um, to be able to see the fruits of our labor mm -hmm. in terms of working at the national office to, I'm a licensed volleyball official as well. And so when I go out and do a match, it's like, ah, this is awesome yes. to see what the rule book is about, see all the section stuff, committee work yep. and so forth. So yes, to, to always um, have the fruits of our labor in the forefront yep. of our minds is, is a joy and a pleasure for me as well. Um, I got a random question for you. If you're on a desert island, who would the one person you would bring and what album would you bring as well? And notice I said album and not CD or, <laughs> or <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> I guess I feel obligated to say my husband, right? You know? <laughs> no, he's a good guy. Um, so, oh, album. Oh, man, I'd have to pick. If I could bring two, I am all over the place. You look at my playlist, you're like, geez, oh man, this is all over the place. But I would go between either, you know, God, I love Lauren Hill, Miseducation of Lauren Hill. I make my girls listen to that all the time because all the people they listen to, I tell them all the time, they want to be Lauren Hill, you know, so you need to understand where they come from. Um, and then, you know, I'm a sucker for like, like, uh, the, the band, I'd say the last waltz by the band. I just love that album start to finish. Nothing better than sitting outside listening to, you know, to, to Levon Helm and Robbie Roberts and just tremendous songwriters. And, you know, so I'd have to go back and forth between those two. And I think the band would accommodate my husband. I could have my Lauren Hill. And <laughs> awesome. I think you're probably going to have some fans with those two <laughs> album choices. Um, anything you want to add or just share with the audience um, that we haven't touched before we move into our rapid fire question session? Um, let me think here. 
One thing, actually, one of the questions that caught me that I would like is you, you had down here, if you could be the commissioner of life for one day, what's the one rule you would enforce? And I would oh, have to say, I would love to ban social media. Just take really? it out of our lives. Yes. Really? Um, I just think it's so detrimental to our kids. It just causes unnecessary hard feelings and unnecessary emotions that I think people have lost sight of having authentic relationships. Um, I think people have lost the meaning of, um, you know, that their, their authenticity, I guess. I, I just see that and I see it with my peers, my generation. I can see it with my children. And I just think longer term, I'm not sure how good it is for all of us. So I think if I could, you know, take one thing away, uh, it would be, you know, at least the social media too, where you have the opportunity to provide commentary and add on, you know, that's where it's right. really not healthy for anyone. So, yeah. Yeah. I could see where you would say that there are some, some pitfalls in social media, but there are also yeah. some, some highlights to reconnect yep. with people you haven't connected yep. with in a while. So there are some benefits, but there are some, some flaws in it as well. So I can see that. Um, I, I did think of another question real quick. Um, if you had, let's say, an extra half a million dollars in your budget, how would you spend it? Uh, we would travel like crazy. We, we, we enjoy traveling, my husband and I and our family. Um, and those you create, those are memories you create for a lifetime, right? We were very fortunate before the pandemic. We got to take our girls, you know, a couple of places, but the big trip, uh, we took them to Italy for about uh, two weeks and they just fell in love with travel. They can't wait to travel again. My oldest right now is looking at colleges and one of her biggest requirements is how many, what's the percentage of kids that study abroad. Um, so I think instilling that passion in them, I'm so fortunate, you know, they, they, they can get through European train stations now, they're confident they can get around foreign cities and figure it out. Um, so I would say, yep, I would absolutely, we would be every six months, we would be on some excursion somewhere <laughs> around the world, so. Awesome, great. Um, let's have some fun. Let's go into some rapid fire yeah. questions. I'm going to give you two, maybe three choices and feel free to elaborate anytime you would like. Okay. Sounds fun. You ready? Yep. All right. So how about coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Pie or cake? Mm. Pie. What flavor? Probably a probably like a cherry, cherry almond, you know, yeah. How about um, Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Receive a gift or give a gift? Oh, give a gift. Mountains or beach? Beach. Cats or in dogs? New oh, I'm sorry. So I'm in New Jersey, beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, popcorn or chips and salsa? Chips and salsa. ESPN or HGTV? ESPN. Or Monopoly? What was the first one? Uno. Uh, or Monopoly. Game. Uno. Uh, sunset or Sunrise? Sunset. Beyonce or D Diana Ross? Uh, Beyonce. Chicken or steak? Chicken. Texting or talking? Oh, talking. Waffles or pancakes? Yeesh. Pancakes. Podcast or TED Talks? 
Ooh, I do both. <laughs> that one's tough. Yeah, love them both. Okay, we'll take that as an answer. Instagram or TikTok? Yeah, neither. <laughs> I have teenage girls, neither. Okay. Um, you're on the East Coast. Is it soda or pop? Soda. Fly or drive? Fly. Window seat, aisle seat. Aisle. How about breakfast, lunch, or dinner? What's your favorite? I'd say I would prefer, I always like lunch, you know, I'm not a big breakfast person and I never have time for dinner. So, you know, <laughs> in our profession, yes, it's all blended together sometimes. Yes. Yep. Um, and my last one, Snickers or banana? Snickers or banana? Yes. Interesting. A banana. Okay. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and um, letting our audience get a chance to know who you are and um, sharing some of yourself with us. We appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. I appreciate your time. You're very welcome.